In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Before we start today, I want to take a quick moment to thank my teammates, Emily and Monica, for filling in for me for the last two weeks. I was out with COVID, which I mention here publicly, in order to help counter any shame anyone currently sick with COVID might be feeling. There's no shame in being sick, be it cancer, COVID, bipolar, whatever illness you may be facing, it's not your fault, and sometimes bad things just happen. Secondly, I want to give a shout out to our new body issue of Wildfire. It's our sixth annual body issue and more badass than ever. How do I know? For one, readers are raving, but second, because every time I post a picture from the issue to my Instagram stories, the Instagram police swoop in and take it down, claiming it's violating their community standards. I know they aren't. Mastectomy photos are allowed, and I'm mighty pissed about that censorship, but I'll also take it to mean that these images of women living life post-mastectomy are ones the world absolutely needs to see. We don't have that enough. So if you haven't yet checked out the issue, you must hop over to wildfirecommunity.org and you can find it there digitally and print in our shop. That's the Body 2022 issue with guest editor Dana Donofrey of Anna Ono. And that leads us into today's episode. We're going to hear a piece from this new issue on what it means to find wholeness in the body again, or maybe for the first time ever. A gentle heads up that today's episode will include the mention of and discussion around sex. So if you have little ears around you right now, you might want to save this episode for a little later. So it was not long ago that I realized something pretty amazing had quietly happened to me while I was looking elsewhere. Cancer did that once, arrived when I was busy elsewhere, but this was a different body story, a better body story. I was looking back over the pandemic and where I had come personally. It was so quiet that I didn't even notice it right away, but somewhere along the way between 2020 and 2021, I reached a place of being that I'll call body neutrality. Body positivity gets a lot of airtime and I'm all for it. But this was even more profound for me when I realized I achieved a neutrality about my body that I hadn't experienced since I was a child. If positivity is all, hey, hey, then I would say neutral is more of this subtle, you know, what's up? For me, the journey to neutrality started in 2018 when I started intermittent fasting. After gaining a lot of weight following cancer treatment and being flung headfirst into early menopause, I tried everything under the sun to lose the extra weight, but I was unsuccessful. Then I lost 80 pounds rather quickly once I learned about intermittent fasting from my oncologist. He turned me onto a book called The Obesity Code by Toronto-based Dr. Jason Fung. 
So 2018 was a lot of celebrating, feeling utterly amazed at the power of having a say in what was going on in my body again. In 2019, I continued to lose weight, but I had more plateaus and more tweaks and experiments coupled with major anxiety. Was it all a fluke? Would all the weight come back? I was constantly monitoring my body. But as 2020 came to a close and I rolled into 2021 and I continued fasting, I realized something. At last, my body and my weight were no longer occupying so much real estate in my daily thoughts. I barely thought about either at all. This was so incredible to me, and I'm still amazed a year later at realizing this to be true. My body has settled into a weight that seems right for it. I have confidence that I can wear anything in my closet comfortably. And if I want to buy clothes, I have confidence that they'll fit me. And if they don't, I don't take it personally. That was the really big shift for me. I feel the exact same way at this point about going around half flat. That means flat closure reconstruction after a unilateral mastectomy. I had my mastectomy in 2012, and for several years, I wore a prosthetic breast. Then one day, it exploded in my bra, and I was forced to experience life asymmetrically. And I didn't die. No one looked at me funny, and eventually, I found that I felt better, sexier even, without that big, heavy silicone foob than I ever did with it, or with two breasts for that matter. I've been living out loud asymmetrically for several years now, and I don't give it a second thought. Again, if I try on a shirt or a dress that doesn't look the way I want, then I move on. I no longer take it personally or feel sad about that. The real treat is that after a lifetime of battling my body over its curves and weight and all breast cancer brought and took, my body is no longer something I chastise for being wrong. I no longer see only flaws when I look in the mirror. This neutrality, this not taking things so personally, this is just appreciating my body for what it is instead of noticing what it isn't. It's a breath of fresh air. My guest today has also found a place of body peace. She has awakened to a place where she takes her body less personally when it comes to sharing it with partners post-mastectomy. She's moved through glimmers of shame post-cancer treatment to a place where, in her words, she's now able to tell her body shame to F right off and accept that pleasure and goodness that comes from unabashedly sharing and exploring her new body in a post-cancer dating world. My guest today is Junie Boucher. Junie is a nutritional therapy practitioner and meditation teacher who was diagnosed with stage one hormone positive ductal breast cancer at the age of 41. She is passionate about helping other breast cancer patients navigate survivorship through her wellness practice so they feel confident about their recurrence prevention plan and feel good in their skin. Junie's also a member of the Rose City Sexual Health Collective, where she provides nutritional support and stress management techniques alongside other sex-positive practitioners, enabling people to break through the psychological and physiological barriers to sexual satisfaction. As we chat today, Junie's in the process of moving from Los Angeles to Portland, Oregon with her rat terrier sidekick, Dot. Welcome to The Burn, Junie. Thank you so much, April. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. This is such an important topic. It is. So you're here to read a piece you just had published. The piece is called Can I See for our latest wildfire. That's the 2020 body issue. And for anyone not familiar, in the body issue each year, we explore stories of how individuals are making peace with all the changes breast cancer brings physically. And so, Junie, after you read, we'll chat about your story. We'll chat about all you've learned along the way. And for those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by our chat. All right, Junie, I'll let you read to us now. When I think about it, 
my pre-cancer breasts got a decent amount of airtime for someone who was not part of the adult entertainment industry. In college, I thought I was so rebellious, allowing my bare breasts to appear in a topless mermaid photo shoot for someone's class project. I was creeped out and, okay, maybe a tiny bit flattered when I was informed by that student that someone stole the photos. I have no idea where they are now. There was another artsy photo shoot my previous breast modeled for when I was living another iteration of youthful bohemia out in Brooklyn in my 20s. I'm not sure if those still exist. They participated in a nude march, posed for a now semi-famous painter, and had several adventures in skinny dipping. (laughs) While living in Los Angeles, they did two plays with an avant-garde theater company with a director who was wonderfully French and in love with having her cast members get naked on stage. For artistic effect, of course. Oh, and there was the seven months living at a clothing optional massage school up in the mountains of Humboldt. (laughs) A bunch of people saw my breasts then. I have to say, I'm glad they had a good run. You might think that I sound like the world's most body confident woman. Reading the previous paragraph, I might too. In reality, I'm no more immune from the inner mean girl that loves to pick you apart with a cruelly adept eye for detail than anyone else. We go to battle on pretty much a daily basis. I think I just realized at some point that I get to choose if I want to listen to the mean voice or the empowered one. I'm happy to report that I've had a long history of choosing to tell that shame. It can go fuck right off. Coming to terms with the body I was born with has been an ongoing struggle, but I was faring pretty well pre-cancer. Cut to two breast cancer surgeries later that left me with one natural breast, multiple large scars, and an over-the-muscle implant that isn't shy about showing all the ripples and wrinkles you don't necessarily know come with a reconstructed breast. I haven't had a matching surgery yet on my natural breast so that there would be some symmetry. I like to joke that my breasts look a lot more like distant cousins as opposed to sisters. Well, this body shame, well, she was a new and cunning foe. Two and a half years post-cancer, and I was back in the world of online dating. My shame had to be contended with. How do I address the subject of my cancer history with a new potential partner? I avoided bathing suits cleavage, and even wearing v-neck t-shirts, so the thought of fully revealing my mismatched breasts had a lot of anxiety behind it. Some kind of warning needed to be in place though, right? For both me and them, it would be best to not have any big surprises. Not without trepidation, I dipped my toe into the dating waters. There was plenty of swiping and attempts at clever self-description Learning the unspoken language of the apps is an adventure in itself. Over the course of several weeks, there was chatting, but either one of us would lose interest or I'd chicken out before we'd meet in person. I was scared. Luckily, the me that takes scared as a rallying cry showed up. You need to just go on a date already. Let's make it happen, she said. She's so badass. Hmm, What about this guy? B's profile was disarming. He seemed sweet, funny, and attractive. Something about him made me feel safe. I asked him out. Pat asked me was kind of on fire that day. We met at a neutral location. 
we were both a bit shyer than the people who had shown up in our previous chats, but I think that was helpful in its own way. My inner shame felt safe knowing that he was well acquainted with his own, yet we both forged on, talking and laughing openly. There was chemistry. He was positive and receptive when I spoke of my prior diagnosis. There was an awkward handhold, and he gently touched my lower back. This is dating code for something along the lines of, if you would like to get naked with me, um, I'm down. No kiss, though. Bold me had retreated a bit. After hanging out a few times, we finally kissed, and it was super passionate. The kind of kiss that indicates clothes would be coming off in the near future and with fervor. During the tornado of tangled limbs and strewn clothing that followed, I decided I would leave my bra on. That seemed safe. After a while, he gently asked, Can I see? Enter the crossroads. A thousand thoughts were waiting to hold me back, to shut me down, to rob me of joy, pleasure, and triumph. But she stepped in. I immediately ripped off my bra. I knew if I waited for even a nanosecond, I would lose my battle with the voice of shame. And despite my dimly lit room, I can still remember the look in his eyes. You can't fake animal attraction and felt like I had released the kraken. He pulled me close and enthusiastically kissed my natural breast. All the sensation I had lost to the mastectomy side had made its way into the other and it felt really damn good. No, this was not a story of heartfelt intimacy between a breast cancer patient and the man who loved her unconditionally. This was two consenting adults really enjoying their bodies. At that moment, I didn't want him to love me. I wanted him to want me. Between his lust and my choice to own my pleasure, that was where the healing was for me. After that night, I, I realized I don't think I want to have the matching surgery after all. The sensation in my natural breast allows me to reclaim that erogenous zone, and um, it's been pretty awesome. Just like any human, I still have my good and bad days regarding body image and my new normal, but telling my shame to fuck right off, well, that's hot. That is hot. Thank you, Junie. Thank you for that. That was gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into all the juicy details. Hello, my name is Sarah Capelier, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 42 years of age in Montreal, Quebec, Canada in December 2019. I first became aware of Wildfire Magazine in uh, the course of 2020 and was able to attend several workshops through 2020 and 2021 writing workshops with April. Um, these workshops have helped me to explore my relationship with what I've been through, come to terms with the changes, the losses, the emotions surrounding the diagnosis uh, and the treatment and the aftermath of uh, this disease. I have really appreciated the, the possibility to explore those aspects of breast cancer through writing um, and reading also the stories of other women, as well as the opportunity to connect with women from all walks of life through April's workshops. So thank you very much to April and um, 
long life to wildfire. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for the love, Sarah. Welcome back, Junie. Thank you again for your powerful writing and reading. I loved it. Yes, that was so much fun. I actually had to, I warned my mom recently. I was like, I'm going to be reading this uh, essay and um, you might not want to listen to it. (laughs) I should have put that. I mean, it's not that explicit or anything. But. <laughs> no, it really isn't. But I could have put a little note, you know, little ears and Junie's mom, you know, you might want to skip. This. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I really love that Jeez, you're you're speaking so freely about something that is a really important topic. I mean, it's important all the time, but I will say every time I talk about this topic, to the breast cancer community, I get so much interest because it's something we think about a lot. We worry about it's another to do on the fix it list. And there's not enough Mm -hmm. frank conversation about how people are facing sex lives after surgery, after treatment, after just feeling kind of betrayed by their bodies. So I'm so glad that you're speaking out. Yeah, thank you. And honestly, it's become kind of a big it's become a big thing for me and I part of that is because I started talking about it and actually when you were on my podcast we talked about it a little bit and people were responding so much I'm like, "Oh wow, yeah, we need to discuss this because I remember when I was going through my journey, a survivor was telling me about her experience with tamoxifen and she had said, yeah, and just FYI, basically um, your vagina is going to close shut. And uh, and I remember being really taken aback by that statement, not because I thought it was vulgar, but just like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. And um, so looking at libido and also, you know, mitigating side effects of hormonal therapies or medically induced menopause, that's actually become a huge part of my wellness practice and part of why I got involved with the sexual health collective. So now I'm going to be working alongside therapists because there are physiological things that you can do that I kind of handle with nutrition and just handling your stress, but having a licensed therapist who's trained in body image and sexual trauma or or whatever to work alongside. I think that's so important. We, we deserve to feel good in our bodies and to enjoy sex. If that's something that we want to have as a part of our lives and especially as young women or older women, you know, if you're single and you're navigating this world there's just a lot that isn't covered, but I think I am seeing a trend. Mm. Are you? It's hard to say because I've become so open to it. So I don't know if it's just um, I'm willing to have the conversation. So therefore, conversations are happening around me. Um, but I mean, that's how it yeah. starts, right? As a small ripple, as you know, individually, we become more courageous to speak up and and lose that shame, then it's contagious and other people feel like they can speak up mm-hmm. and ask questions. Because I think the worst thing is to think that for some reason, you're the only one experiencing this mm-hmm. difficulty. And I do remember my I think it was the oncology nurse handed me some pamphlet, you know, about sex in chemo. But at that point, things were fine. I was just starting to have chemo, you know, and so nothing had really changed in my body. And I remember just tossing the 
the brochure out. Like, okay, that's not going to be me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was a really big surprise to me when, when later all the stuff you described, you know, was happening to me. And, um, and I did think I was the only one or the only one with this particular problem. Um, I wasn't dating, but you know, problem in my marriage. So yeah, I, I would do want to ask you, what is a sex coach and tell us more about the work that you're doing with regard to that. Well, I, I am not personally a sex coach, so I am, you know, a whole, I work in holistic nutrition. Um, but with this, so a sex coach there, um, I have a couple, yeah, colleagues that are basically, they walk people through, they walk individuals and couples through just, you know, improving their sex lives and whatever that might look at, like whether it's dealing with sexual trauma, cause they're, you know, a lot of them are licensed marriage, family therapists or um, clinical sexologists, how to um, communicate with your partner, how to navigate differences in levels of desire. I think that's something that a lot of breast cancer patients deal with. You know, how do you work through your relationship if you have literally no interest in sex right. because of, you know, whatever medication you're on? How do you navigate that? Um, I know also they navigate things like just bringing some spice back into it. Or even if you're single, you know, there are people that have never learned how to masturbate and, Mm -hmm. or just self-pleasure. And, um, so they walk people through that and my role, they wanted the sexual health collective. There's a pelvic floor specialist. They are actually looking potentially for an acupuncturist. And then I help, you know, if you have issues with your circulatory system, um, you know, your, your metabolic health is out of whack, or, you know, you're dealing with hormone imbalance, which is really common. And with tamoxifen or something like that, your, your hormones can definitely, they're going through stuff. How do you balance that nutritionally and and lifestyle so that you can actually bring some of the, the hormone, build some of the hormones that fuel libido? Cause that is driven by estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And there's like a delicate dance that goes Mm. on. So I kind of handle that. That's my realm of expertise, but the collective, we just help each other. We feed into each other's practices and provide a really holistic support system for people if they want it. They don't have to use all of us, but we're there if they need us. I love that. We're going to definitely link to um, to you, of course, but also to the collective because I love this holistic approach mm-hmm. and this idea that it isn't just lube. <laughs> it's not just lube in a sexy yes. outfit one night that's going to solve every problem, you know, in the right in the bedroom. Right. Um, but let's go back to to your story for a second, and because one of the things I really love with storytelling is how we can break down the transformation that happened. And we saw in your story, this evolution. And so I want to come back to the person that you were right after your diet or not your diagnosis, but your treatment, you know, when you realized that things were going to be a little different for you than what you had previously experienced with your body. Can you take us back there? Mm-hmm. And, and when did you realize that there was, there was work to be done here? And how did you approach that? You know, I, I was lucky because I, during my treatment, I was in this really, you know, great relationship with a, a wonderful man who actually had a lot of experience with breast cancer, uh, his mother and his sister had had breast cancer. And he was the most 
supportive, loving partner, but I just, there was a lot of trauma for me around my breasts and it was very hard for me to be sexual. Um, you know, just even from allowing those scars to heal and, um, to just dealing with the weird sensation that comes with a, you know, you have no nerves endings in the, the mastectomy side. So like, how do you navigate that? And, um, you know, it was a struggle and ultimately we did end up parting ways amicably, but then, and then I took some time off from dating. So when I decided I was ready to go back into the world, I realized there was this big elephant in Mm -hmm. the room about like, how am I even gonna, like, how do you bring this up? And I, as you may be able to tell from the essay, I'm, I'm an open book. I'm not somebody that shies away from talking about real things, but not everybody is, you know, that type of personality, you know, which is certainly not good or bad to be either one. So I did talk to people. I talked to friends. I talked to other breast cancer survivors. I talked to men. Um, and I was, you know, just kind of curious. And at the end of the day, really, everybody was kind of on the same page of like, well, if a, if a, if a potential partner is weird about it, that's kind of a, a red flag. And I do feel like in our culture, we don't, we don't, I don't feel like we stigmatize cancer patients. I feel like cancer patients aren't looked at as strong, triumphant people, you know, whether or not you're currently battling or you've, you've, you know, treated your cancer. So I wasn't really scared to tell somebody, oh, I had cancer Mm -hmm. and I, you know, and I no longer have, have cancer, but I was scared about the reaction because someone can say something really supportive, but what is the look going to be like on their face? You know, and um, and in this particular experience that I talk about in the story, you know, I do feel really lucky that um, as a first foray into this world, that um, I genuinely felt desired, yeah. and that was so nice. And it, it you know, I, I couldn't. You can't really blame somebody for being shocked and not hiding it 100% if that's the case, you know, because my breasts do look, do look different. And, um, so yeah, I, I feel like I was lucky and, uh, I'm grateful and, um, you know, we're not, this person and I are, are, are not dating anymore, but I feel like he's always going to have this little soft spot in my heart for being, you know, the first person and for being so, um, for making it such a positive experience for Mm -hmm. me. I always like to tell people who are going through the same thing or, you know, are contemplating going through the same thing, you know, communicate at a pace that you feel comfortable with. But I really felt like being open about it just so that there were no surprises. He could wrap his head around it. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you know, if most people, I mean, this is a a heterosexual relationship, like most heterosexual guys just like boobs. (laughs) 
It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I think I think kind of all people like boobs, but um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not to single out anybody, you had to rule out anybody else from liking boobs, but yeah, I was I mean, and he even said that because I don't know if we talked about it. He he actually was really like, I kind of like that you have two different boobs. It's something about it feels really mm. cool. Um, which, uh, you know, and and uh and he was like and also they're boobs. I like those. <laughs> I love all that. You know, there's speaking of your boobs, if we can, um, there's something <laughs> sure. I want to just highlight too, which you mentioned that after this experience <clears throat> with, um, with this guy, you realized that maybe you were going to rethink having the, the matching surgery. And I love that you brought up mm -hmm. the erogenous zone of your remaining natural breast. Um, it sounds like to you sensation was even heightened, you know, losing the other one, but this is something I never hear talked about when options are being laid out for people to consider between a single or a double mastectomy. I know for me, I had a single and it was just a happy surprise when I realized like, oh my God, I still have sensation. Like I didn't even know to be trying to preserve that. And I'm so glad that happened for me. Is that, was that kind of the case for you? Was that a surprise that it was something to even consider? Or did you know that going in? About having sensation in the remaining Yeah, I guess breast. just about how, um, mm -hmm. how valuable that is, you know, in, in yes. as a decision factor, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. Because I never, I mean, you know, I think breasts are traditionally an erogenous zone for many people. And I never realized how much. Yeah until I lost that sensation. And, you know, with a, with a matching surgery in, if, if everything goes well, you shouldn't lose sensation. But I do remember the plastic surgeon, I had a consultation because I think just like a lot of other women, it was never really presented to me as, as an option not to do that final mm -hmm. surgery and have mm -hmm. the matching surgery. So I had a consultation and then I ended up moving well, I waited over a year after my um, treatment ended to do that matching surgery. I think it was like a year and a half. And then I just kind of wanted to do it. And then um, the surgeon said, well, you know, you'll trade symmetry for scars. And I remember being kind of like, mm, okay. And, but I didn't consider the option not to do it. And, uh, moving down to LA, I was like, well, there will be plenty of opportunities for me to do breast surgery here. And maybe a surgeon down here will have a different sort of idea of, um, you know, what, what to do. So I'll just wait. But after kind of getting into my body again and seeing that, I was like, you know, I kind of just, I don't really want to mess with it. It, they're, they're different. They, one is a 44 year old breast and one is a breast implant kind of slapped onto a torso with a, with a piece of skin over it. Cause I didn't, I had an immediate reconstruction. So it wasn't like I had the expander. Um, so I think when you do the over the muscle, it's a little bit, I, I feel like it, yeah, there's a certain look that's a lot more just like a mound and, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I, you know, who knows, I might change my mind. I think that I believe that in all of the United States, like you're, you can have as many 
reconstructive surgeries as you want. Like insurance has to cover. That's how the law is right now. Is that, isn't that, do you know if that's, that's my understanding? Case? Yeah. I believe, yeah. I think so. So yeah. if I change my mind, I can change my mind. But for now I'm like, you know what? I just, I don't want to cut anything up. Mm-hmm. I think I just want to leave it as it is. And you know, it's um, just, yeah, I think what you said, like this neutrality, um, this body neutrality of just, I mean, I appreciate my body. I don't, I don't run around like feeling like this is the most quote unquote perfect looking situation, but I'm happy. I'm grateful. And I feel good. I think I've going back to the, the experience of being in this body to me, as opposed to the appearance of my body has been very empowering. Mm. I love that. I love that. I think that's a great spot for us um, to end. Um, Wow. Yeah. So Junie, will you tell us where we can find more about you and your work online? Of course. Yeah. So my, I am on Instagram and TikTok under Junie B. Well, J-U-N-I-B-W-E-L-L. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Junie Boucher, um, NTP. Um, My website is juniebewell.com. And I also actually have a podcast for young breast cancer patients. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) It's called (laughs) Ta-Ta Cancer. And it basically discusses, um, I talk a lot about like health and, and nutrition and and all those things. But I, I interview a lot of um, alternative health practitioners and breast cancer survivors about just their healing, the healing process and different ways to look at healing. So you can find me there too. Excellent. Oh, and I'm also on Insight Timer um, as a meditation teacher, which I try to do a lot of stuff specific for the breast cancer community. Oh, love all of this. Such helpful stuff. And we will definitely link to <laughs> all of it. So Junie, you read today your piece called Can I See from our brand new June, July 2022 issue of Wildfire called Body. Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you, April. I had a great time. So I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 37 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a Wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. And don't forget to hop over to wildfirecommunity.org to join our mailing list so you stay in the know about new issues of the magazine, free writing workshops, and more. All right, here is your writing prompt. I want you to set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. The prompt is love is, love is. What does love look like right now for you? Intimacy takes many forms. We have an old map that needs to be rewritten about sex, intimacy, and love. And this is not to say that you need to accept a sexless life. It's just about opening your eyes to what already exists in your life right now, what you might be comfortable with right now. 
love is. This can be a list prompt where you return to the phrase love is each time you write or a stream of consciousness. There's no right or wrong answer. Eight minutes without stopping. See what needs to come out where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.